Winchesters. We have to stop socializing. Yeah. <laughs> we have to stop being friends so we can. Yeah, guys, stop being so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Wayward Parents, a prequel podcast where your local supernatural veterans and finale deniers watch the Winchesters. My name is August. My pronouns are they, them. My name is Beth, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is KJ, and my pronouns are she, they. And today we are here to talk about the 10th episode of the first season of The Winchesters, which I've forgotten what it's called. Bear with me one second. Suspicious Minds. Suspicious Minds. There we go. Thank you, KJ. (laughs) (laughs) Teamwork. (laughs) KJ will always, always know it because KJ will have looked up the writer and director. I'm actually so stoked to talk about (laughs) (laughs) it. I was segwaying you. Let's do director first because it's easier. Um, this episode was directed by Andy Armagani, and they have directed episodes of The Flash, Blind Spot, Arrow, MacGyver, Supergirl, Hawaii Five-0, Legends of Tomorrow, Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and Stargirl. The Star Trek ones caught my attention. You can't see it <laughs> because this is not a video podcast, but I like perked right up when I heard those two Star Trek ones. <laughs> they really did perk up. <laughs> No uh, previous Supernatural Universe experience, but uh, definitely lots of, like, DC superhero shows, Star Trek. And this episode was co-written by Gabriel Alejandro Garza and Julia Cooperman. Both those names should be familiar, because they've written episodes of the Winchesters in the past. Gabriel wrote episode three, Your Lost Little Girl, and Julia wrote on episode four, Masters of War. They've both written a bunch of other stuff. So we're, we've broken our streak of writers with no credits to speak of. Gabriel, in particular, written a lot of children's TV. This is a very, like, not in the in the realm. That's I don't know strange. how they got here. But I would just like to read some of their other credits. The Haunted Hathaways, Monsters vs. Aliens, Penguins of Madagascar, Bella and the Bulldogs, which he was co-creator of. The Flash, a couple of episodes. But, like, that's the only, like, adulty thing. I love Penguins of Madagascar. That's just really... I love that show. (laughs) It's so totally not this. Yeah. (laughs) And that's kind of delightful. We love someone who's got range. (laughs) (laughs) Julia also has some writing credits. Nothing I had really heard of except for uh, the new like Willow series on Disney+. Plus. I keep getting fed fucking stuff (laughs) on my TikTok and on Tumblr, and I am this close to fucking watching it, but I have too much to do right now. My dad hates (laughs) the movie. Like, hates it, hates it. Has a physical reaction to its mere mention. (laughs) That is a visceral hate. (laughs) I had never heard about any of it until the algorithm started telling me that I'd probably like it, so I'm just gonna give it a red hot go at some point when I have time, and then I'll (laughs) I'll see. I'll see if the algorithm knows me as well as it thinks it does. Uh, The algorithm knows me very well. So if it starts recommending (laughs) me something, I should probably have watched it. I will inevitably watch this. I will inevitably enjoy it. I will hopefully not want to enjoy it so much that I want to make a podcast about it. (laughs) There's two, that list is too long. I will be honest right out the gate. Like I did not love this episode. I think this is actually my least favorite episode so far. More than the one that we all didn't like. Yes. Which was episode five for people who haven't been listening. I haven't rewatched episode five recently, so I haven't like put them next to each other to compare. But through two watches of this episode, I have like some questions. I have some like voices. In case people have forgotten that I was not here for episode seven. I, and like I only watched episode seven one time and I've never rewatched it and I didn't take notes. So I have no episode seven notes. You can check my notes. And then I realized I didn't have notes for that episode. And I was like, I'm lost. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> 
So maybe that's where I want to start. Roxy, we got to talk. Let's just so confused. Yeah. <laughs> In a podcast first, I think we've got some very strong differences of opinions. I really liked this episode, like generally, like there are problems with it. But I think like from a like artistic standpoint, a lot of the like general production side, for me, I felt like it was way sharper and cleaner and like felt better than like episode five, for example. I felt like that felt so messy. Which is is fair. And I think the the storytelling is where I take biggest issue here. Mm-hmm. I think, like you said, the performances are good. I think that there is, well, there's two main storylines in this episode. One of them I really love. And I think in any other episode, it would have pushed my episode ranking up. Mm-hmm. And there's one storyline that I really didn't like and it pulled the episode down for me. Yeah. Felt like two two very different episodes. And I liked one of those within the episode. Lata and Carlos' storyline was the one that I liked. Yeah, it was really good. Very strong. I have almost no notes on it because I'm like, this just happened and it was good. (laughs) I wanted more of that storyline from like the first shot seeing Lata in the, like, the Velma, like, Scooby-Doo oh, outfit. She looks was so like, cute. Oh, my Definitely God. Definitely the best outfit of the episode, like, hands down, with Lata's first outfit. I'm glad they left her in it for, like, a long enough time that we got mm-hmm. to, like, enjoy that outfit because it was such a good outfit. And her acrylics perfectly matched her top, and it brought me so much serotonin. She really accessorized so good. Her little headband was so cute. It had, like, blue in it, but it also had orange in it. It all tied it all together. It was cute. And Carlos's red jacket with the tassels. They matched so well. I'll be honest, I was distracted by Lotha. Like, he was standing beside Lotha the whole time. And I was... <laughs> if Carlos had been wearing something, wearing this in a lot of other scenes, it would have stood out more because Lotha's was so, so, so good. Also, like, the shooting of some of the scenes where they show off the nails. Like, when she's painting the, like, sigil or whatever it is on the arm. That one caught my eye the second watch through, just like the visual of like you're seeing her nails, you're seeing like her precision, like the, the I think the directing and the filming choices there were really good. Like Latha is just like a joy. Her character is such and they a joy. They had such good like energy and dynamics with each other. I mean, they always do, but like this episode like really focused on it and it was delightful. I think I said an episode or two ago that like I wanted them to like mix it up more and like give us more. Carlos and John and Lata and John and like different combinations but like I kind of take that back like I don't take it back but like thanks for not listening for this one particular episode because it's perfect (laughs) it's so good and I love them so much literally every single thing about Carlos and Lata interacting in this episode was incredible it had such great energy like the way that they were bantering and teasing each other and like the scene where I think it's when Roxy is like washing up before they do the like memory Mm -hmm. spell and Carlos has like put the pieces together that it's Tony and that she's been oh. in in her dreams. And like the, there's like a music change. The music is perfect. It's so cheeky and lighthearted. <laughs> and they're just giving each other so much shit. And it's yeah. so fun. And like the contrast of earlier in the episode where they're at the van and Carlos is so distracted by Anton and this <laughs> moment where Lassa says, no, not you, hush, you're an idiot. I also wrote that quote down because it's so good. And like the fact that Carlos immediately puts the pieces together about Tony and it's like, yeah, you're dream bagging Tony, aren't you? Um, yes. <laughs> like it's so funny. He calls her a dirty dozing tramp and it's so <laughs> the delivery is perfect. <laughs> I think Carlos's language, like the language choices they use in the writing for his diet, like his dialogue is so, so like 
he's he's also like gives me big dean energy in like an episode yes. like this the way he uses phrases it's big dean energy in a way that's not like copying dean like it's it's like its own thing but it's like yeah. the same vibe yeah <laughs> yeah it's those like those kinds of jokes it's those kind of like nicknames that are super specific but like very random and out there and like precise it's and so funny so funny so funny I really loved this line where he he says he's done this like dramatic turn and like draped himself over the door of the van <laughs> and he <laughs> says so dramatic. it's so good and he says taking things slow and seeing faces and pancakes is for boring people who don't have the fate of the world on their excellently proportioned shoulders and I <laughs> lost it I was like that is hilarious and I was also like it's it, yeah, it and deep. then she like parroted that back to him while she was like smacking him. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> you and your proportioned shoulders is perfect, incredible. I had the note that just like she, like particularly like Latha, like loves Carlos so well, like in exactly the way that mm-hmm. he needs as a character. Like she knows him, she sees right through him, she sees through his bullshit, but she also like knows when to push, when mm-hmm. to like go for challenging him, and also when to like when to be compassionate like she's so good for him there's so much like affection and love there and I I just love that they've like developed that for the two of them maybe the one complaint I have with Carlos and Latha thing storyline is that like I can't quite tell through two watches the Carlos's like romantic back like the stuff with Anton and the kind of distress he's going through I can't tell what tone it's supposed to be because there's moments where it's like he's really struggling and it seems to be like there's some deep like heavy emotions that are going on there and then there's times when it's like kind of jokey I don't like dislike it I just I wish we had been able to see them more prior to this because I felt Mm -hmm. like the show didn't quite earn the emotionality of Carlos's inner conflict because I don't feel like we've seen that until this episode and I just wish we had more of it like the initial episode that he was in and then like he wasn't mentioned and we found out that they had gone on a date but we didn't see any of it and then they had their like kiss moment and that was the end of the last episode and like they haven't had any time to do anything else. So I agree. I think that we need to actually see more of them interacting like in like a meaningful way to be able yeah. to earn, yeah, like the kind of emotional reaction that we're seeing in Carlos. But I actually kind of like that it sort of flips between this like he's clearly like conflicted in like, well, like I have to break up with him because like this is getting too real and too intense and stuff. But also, like, you see him just being, like, kind of off in, like, fairyland because he's he's falling for this this guy. And, like... Yeah, and I do like that a lot. I won't... That yeah. butterfly feeling. And it's the, like, oh, like, I can't stop thinking about them and stuff. And, like, that's, like, a fun, happy thing a lot of the time. Yeah. Comes a cut with this, like, very emotional, okay, but I'm scared of opening myself up to that vulnerability. Yeah. And I think, actually, the flip-flop felt for me okay like I actually enjoyed it but I can see where it would be annoying I think I just wish they had earned it a little more because I wouldn't have minded that flip-flop if we had gotten a bit more of if we'd seen Anton more than twice (laughs) yeah or if we or if we had seen more of like Carlos or if there'd been some mention of him in the in between episodes yeah I think and because like when they've talked about Carlos's like romantic past they've pretty much only talked about it in that sort of light jokey tone oh yeah Lava listed off a whole list of exes yeah, three. And we'd only had one of them before. Yeah. We've only done that and they feel like they've haven't shown us like they've just sort of set it up that that's what this character is, but without any of the other. So seeing him have like some emotional conflict about that, I liked that. Like I want to see that emotional conflict. 
because I'm like, okay, there's something here about him hunting and not having romantic ties. It's very early seasons. Oh, it's very Dean mm-hmm. in general, which I also like thought was a really cool like mirror going on of like Carlos, like Dean is also kind of going like, I don't do relationships because I can't with this job. And I think that again, in his, in Carlos's own independent way is reflecting Dean. I just wish like, I think with early seasons, Dean, we got to see like with Cassie, like I think we get to see that kind of fleshed out a little more in a way that I just wish they had gone a little further with. And I hope they do because I genuinely care about that storyline a lot. And I care about Carlos and Anton and I want to see more. I don't want to be super critical of it. I just want to see more as we go forward. I think what is interesting, we've talked ad nauseum at this point about how like we're so used to supernatural, like giving us fucking breadcrumbs and then turning around and being like, what breadcrumbs, you know? And so (laughs) I think this feels like we're getting that representation but it is also like almost the bare minimum Mm -hmm. in this episode like roxy just casually is like i lost my girlfriend and i'm like oh okay roxy's queer that's awesome (laughs) but also we're not going to get to see that relationship we're not going to get like she is again a side character we're barely going to see this is the first time we've ever seen her not possessed and not the villain and so Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where i'm like i love that roxy is queer i love that anton is queer i just know that I'm probably not going to see them. It's not implied, it's explicit, but it is still off screen, you know? Yeah, and, and like Anton's not going to become a part of the Scooby gang. I wish that they would bring a queer character in, be willing to have two queer characters in an ensemble. Yeah. And if they're not dating, that would also be great. Like, could yeah. we get two queer people mm-hmm. and their plot lines are not, we're dating because we're the two queer people. Like, that would be... Yeah, <laughs> just two queer people present where that can be like, part of their character like I think this is the thing with like queerness in media is like we don't want queer characters to like their whole identity to revolve around them being queer and I think that's one of the reasons Carlos is such a great character because his whole identity doesn't revolve around that but that doesn't mean I don't think that that's an important part of his identity that I want Mm -hmm. to see more focus on especially because otherwise it does feel yeah like what you said Beth about it being off screen like I want it to be a little more on screen like we were so excited last episode that we got like the kiss but like, you know, like you said, like we missed out on the date. We missed out on like all of the lead up to that, except for one mm-hmm. conversation. It's like, a, it's a bummer because like, we want to see this be developed. And I don't think this is going to be the end of it. And I say that one, because it, now this is like a three times brought up plot point. Yeah, I think so too. But also we get this really great line from Latha, which I think is a really wonderful thing for her character but also for like the underpinning of their friendship which is her saying giving your fear of intimacy a get out of jail free card is not help I loved that line because I was like yeah he's asking you for help but what he's asking you to do won't actually help him in the long run it is going to hurt him like they have a level of friendship where she can just call him out on that and be like no I'm not gonna do what you're asking me because I know as your friend who cares about you it's not actually going to be what you need and it comes full circle like by the end of the episode he says sometimes the things you want to forget are probably the things you shouldn't and I think that was like such a good like I think that emotional arc for Carlos and for Lapa like over this episode was really lovely and like in contrast to I think sometimes in Supernatural the characters like not learning from Mm -hmm. these sorts of scenarios and just stuffing it all down. And rehashing the same internal conflicts over and over every season. And they, yeah. ta- and what they do is they talk about it and they address it and they go, okay, like we're going to make a different choice. And I think that's really refreshing to see. 
like them making better emotional more more emotionally mature choices I do want to know though about Roxy because like we all thought she was dead <laughs> yeah right? I was confused I was Carlos was like is she dead like that's what I, I like really went back away now so I was like why did I write when she died I was like oh I don't know it's for that whole episode like I have no notes and I'm no like, I definitely I, thought she was dead I don't know well I think we assumed maybe similar to like demon possession is like once you're like often when you're possessed by a demon like you technically can be saved but like most of the time you aren't when Mary had the stingers in her like her life was in imminent danger <laughs> Yeah, and, like, everyone that we'd known up until that point who had been possessed outside of Mary was dead. Like, I don't think it was, like, a huge leap for us to make to assume she died. And also, if she was alive, they didn't take her. Like, we didn't see them take her out. Which means, what, did they just leave her there? They assume she was dead, but then they also assume that she's alive later on. They go, oh, yeah, then we know someone we could go to. Like, it... Yeah. I think this is, like, some of my beef with this episode. It's, like, the actual plot doesn't make sense. But yeah, I was just really confused that Roxy was here at all to begin with. I thought her whole storyline was really great. I was just like, I don't know how we got here. And I don't know if we trust this. But I think I trust her. I also love her outfit. She looked good. Unclear. Also, if she's like, like if she's going to come back or not, I think it's like super unclear in the episode. And like, I don't really need to know. She did say to call if they had a chance to kick some Akrita ass. Yeah, but are they going to call a random civilian... I was just gonna say I would like to remind everyone that she is a she's an unemployed radio DJ. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I don't think they should call her. I think that would be a dangerous choice. Nothing that we've learned about Roxy indicates that she is a very capable fighter um, when she's not possessed. <laughs> but I like the I like the attitude. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's the can-do spirit that Team Free Will thrives on. <laughs> very like also like you know John in last episode being like yeah. save one vampire for me. And I do love that they had her decide that she wants to, like, remember everything. Yes, that felt very nice. It was giving a character autonomy over <laughs> their trauma in a way you so rarely get to see. So rarely in any media, but especially in Supernatural. Yeah, and it was so nice. We got to, like, see her go from, like, oh, I just, I just wish I could forget everything to being, like, actually, I want to remember that what I went through was important. And yes. I think that's a really interesting like journey for her to have gone through. Like to be fair, in the span of like a couple hours, we assume, but mm-hmm. you know, it's still like a journey that she's mm-hmm. gone on. And I suppose if she ever wanted to change her mind, there is nothing to stop her getting in touch with Carlos and Lathan and saying, hey, I'd like actually I can't do this and I do want to like like she still has yeah, exactly. that choice. You know, yeah. and so I think that was really nice. And she's not questioned on that choice. She's allowed to make that choice. Yeah. She's- She's encouraged and empowered to make both the choice to remember and the choice not to forget. I do want to put on the clown hat a little bit and, and tease a little Destiel parallel out of <laughs> Roxy. The whole idea of like this formerly possessed woman who is like drinking to forget, but eventually decides to remember as long as, and she makes this really clear, like she wants to remember when they win. And this is a queer woman who has lost her lover because of something that the big bad has done. And I just want to put that one right out there and go, that's an interesting concept. While we're here, <laughs> I wanted to know, she says, I don't want to remember anymore. And then she specifies this episode. And I just thought that was so funny. Because I, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, an episode? That's such an interesting choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> For things you might not want to remember anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm, how about that? I... 
having little itty bitty concern um and I don't want I don't want to get everyone too concerned but it is like a little concern that I do feel like I have to bring up I was actually I was very thrilled for Latha that she is you know pursuing a romantic relationship but I was not super thrilled about the way that she's going about it I don't like that Latha's just out here learning magic from her dream boyfriend and not telling anybody particularly Carlos it's giving season four Sam like first you have a traumatized girl then you're drinking demon blood and popping the devil out of the cage like it's a slippery slope <laughs> <laughs> I I'm just like Latha um you could you could be a little bit more upfront about your extracurriculars Isn't every she once in a while. This episode, like she is at this point, and she hasn't really needed to be before. I'm not getting concerned vibes from her, but I guess maybe I'm more trusting. Maybe I, I'm like those parallels. I can like see them in like the the written sense. I'm struggling to see them with like the way she's acting because like season four Sam was like acting super suspicious. If we're getting to the point where we're offering to white people's minds, like uh, there should have been some discussion happening. With your closest <laughs> friends and family. Maybe that's before fair. Before now. I don't trust it. Because, you know, I did that once before with my babe Sam. And <laughs> that was misplaced trust. <laughs> it does feel like she is getting significantly more powerful. And that could either be a really good thing. You know, Carlos was really like, usually Ada does the magic stuff. And you know, I did not trust Ada for the first, like, eight episodes <laughs> of the show. It's only since Ada's honestly left that I have started to be like, she's chill, but... We haven't seen Ada in so long. I don't know if I trust her either, but she's just, like, not here enough for me to, like, make a judgment call. It feels a little strange, honestly. I don't feel like the show knows what quite what they're doing with Ada. The longer she's gone, the less I distrust her. <laughs> I feel like if she was actually, if she was to be worried about, she'd be here doing shit. That's why I'm worried, because she's, what is she <laughs> off doing? Was she with Samuel? Because I don't trust him either. So yeah. like, two characters I trust the least are like off having a little holiday together. Like See, I would that would concern me more, except for that Deanna's still out here being a fucking wild card. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually more concerned about Deanna than Samuel about something in this episode, which is always a fun place to be. I think the only character that I'm like reasonably confident is not going to knock on wood turn dark side is Millie. Do we know if Millie has the tattoo? Like, we know John and Mary and Martha and Carlos all I have it. I fucking hope they thought through that one if through. If they did not get her to put that t- that is such an infuriating potential oversight on their part, I would be livid. But also so supernatural of them. So yeah, supernatural of them yes. to, like, not ward, like, the one person. Like, how many times did that happen? She's where they just... messing with the fucking box. Like, who knows that that box isn't gonna, like, turn around and spit everything out that it's ever... <laughs> it's broken! <laughs> Though I love her, like, she's like, I know it's not the carburetor. Like, I think Millie makes me laugh. She's in this episode, like, for only, like, two scenes and, like, two lines. But she's a delight. I actually love her so much. Yeah. Her little security system thing reminded me of Charlie. Um, But also her little line about it really reminded me of another show entirely. (laughs) Because she's like, it's a rare and dangerous magic called technology, which I could have sworn was a Charlie reference. But then I was like, no, I'm just mixing things up in my brain. Because in Once Upon a Time, there's a line where a character is describing Liquid um, as able to conjure courage, give strength, or even act as a love potion of sorts. And then they're like, it's called whiskey. Like, it's not <laughs> magic. <laughs> yeah, I am worried about Millie having the box, considering she's like knows the least about the supernatural. Like, the fact that they just like sent the box with her. 
I do feel like Millie's doing a good job at getting educated quickly. Like, she's not that far behind John, and they've been doing a lot of educating together. Like, I do feel like she's doing pretty good. She's just not absolutely it's just the, the box is like not in the box the is yeah in her possession and she's alone with it a lot in her normal <laughs> kind of unwarded house like their house is not the most protected the house in the garage clearly as is evidenced by the end of this episode i want to know what you guys think when millie opens the garage door and she sees john with kyle by the way r.i.p kyle like the yes. <laughs> i literally genuinely cannot tell if she thinks john is innocent or not like the look on her face i can't either i think she thinks he's innocent but i'm also inferring from just like she's recognizing like the horrors of the situation without thinking he's guilty because that was i was like i think that but also i couldn't 100 percent tell i think that like she because she has all of this information about the supernatural about what they're Mm -hmm. fighting i think that she either assumes john didn't do it or assumes that if he did there is a supernatural thing like I do not think she would have any concerns that he would have just killed a random person without a really good reason. She knows full well, like surprising amount for a mom, like how dark John can be. She's been the person who's raised the most concern about how dark John can be, honestly. And I don't know what I wanted her to do because there like was no time for her to do anything, but she did freeze a little bit. And like, I don't know, in my brain, Millie's the kind of mom who just hides the body, no questions asked. I think if the police don't come, that's absolutely what she does. Especially in this scenario, I think she goes like, we're cleaning this up and then we will- Yeah, no one's going to know about this. Unfortunately, there's not time for that. And so like her freezing, it just like takes up all the time that we have. But yeah, I I was like, I don't know what reaction I wanted, but this was just like a non-reaction and I didn't know what to think about it. Her expression is a little, does like, is a lot. I think she's probably just in shock. It's not what she expected to see when she opened the door. And, like, I'm thinking back of, like, what she's actually seen. Like, she hasn't seen that kind of a, like, death. This also, like, she sees the look on John's face. This is not, like, John, I killed a monster face. There's no anger. There's no, like, adrenaline. Like, this is helpless and scared. This is either John, I've accidentally killed someone because I thought I had to and maybe I didn't have to. Or, like, I killed someone because I had to because they were possessed. But the human is also dead. Like, I think she's assuming that, like, something horrible has happened. Like, I think she might think that John has done it, but I think that she, like, as I'm talking it through, I'm thinking maybe she will assume that John has done it, but that there's something wrong. Like, something has gone wrong. Like, something has gone wrong in in the moment. I think she's going to be on John's side. Like, I do not think she's going to be suspicious that he's gone dark in Mm. this scenario. It probably helps that he's, like, screaming for help. He's, like, yelling for help, and he's like, Kyle, like, Kyle, like, come on, like, you know. And I mean, I suppose, depending on your perspective and how much you know, that could be taken in two ways. Like it could be taken in, oh my God, I can't believe I've done this. Or it could be taken in the way it actually is, which is like, oh my God. I would like to uh, applaud the Akrita who's like wearing Kyle for like getting the white shirt so that the blood is like extra. Like that is like top theatricality. That is more (laughs) blood than we see in most of any Supernatural. I actually watch it. It was a lot. It was... It was kind of startling, like even from a viewing perspective. The, a goal was intended and the goal was reached. Like it was it was meant to look as bad as possible and it did. I will say that that scene did help kind of redeem the episode for me a little bit because I was like immediately drawn back in. I was like getting to the end of the episode like or before that. And I was like, okay, so like, what have we really done this episode? Okay, this was actually like a third plot in the episode though. Like this was completely separate. Yeah. 
because there was a whole like thing where like a bunch of Akrita had a meeting. It was like it, it was it gave me Leviathan, Leviathan. Vibes. yes <laughs> yes I was the whole bit about like the fast food and like slathering their bodies in ranch dressing I was like that's literally lifted from season seven you cannot convince that's me Leviathan Sam and Leviathan Dean complaining about how fucking messed up Sam and Dean's heads are like sitting at a diner <laughs> these Akrita like the more we get to know them I'm so confused by <laughs> the more I'm confused and the more I'm like oh they don't seem as cool as they seem like they could have been and I really mm-hmm. hope that I'm wrong about that like I really hope that conceptually they're interesting they're just giving me big bad i want to destroy the world energy but not like in an interesting way no like in a way where i'm like i don't really want to i don't really care who the akrita queen is right now like i just don't unless it connects to like time travel universe travel I, or i'm Dean. curious to see who it is but <laughs> they had a photo of Dean and they're like this guy and like the way that he says the word bastard made me laugh. I don't know what it was about the, like, delivery of that, but it was so funny to me. Confirmed, though, that he, like, showed up here and started, like, getting the little, like, band together. Like, he is orchestrating his He parents. is responsible for this. I don't know. Who, who had the theory that, like, Cupid was, like, too vague in Supernatural? Because uh, that's looking, Beth, yeah, that's looking real good. <laughs> looking like Dean may have set his own parents up. <laughs> Okay, here's the thing. The Akrita are confusing me so much. And I said in the last episode, I don't give a shit about the Akrita. That stands. I still don't give a shit. It's not why I care about the show. Like you guys said, no. like, I only care about them in relation to, like, Dean. I liked them way more when they were just, like, big bugs and they weren't in people. Here's, okay, here's where I'm confused. Yeah, I don't quite get that. I still don't understand. So the Akrita <laughs> are the bugs. I assumed at the very start when we saw Roxy, like, I thought that Roxy was like an Akrita and like the bug things were just like their minions. I thought that too. Yeah, I thought they were separate things. I think they might still be separate things, but the humans don't know because like the only person that says that the Akrita are like bugs specifically is Jack. He equivalates them to bugs. I'm not sure. I think it still could, they could be separate, but I think they're implying that they're the same, which I just don't understand. The bit that confuses me is it's like, okay, so when the bug things attack, they put the little spikes in your brain. And then once the spikes are in your brain, that's how we know that they're possessed. But the way that we've seen them possessed has been so different. Like the way that Kyle's possessed, entirely different to the way that Mary or anyone in that episode was Mm -hmm. possessed. And I'm like, if if I'm a bug, if I'm a little bug and Mm -hmm. I attack someone and I put my little sticky things in their neck, do I, the bug, go into like a coma because my consciousness is now in the person? Or do I disappear? I Do I just disappear? Is there just like a bug carcass somewhere? Like, what is happening? I also don't understand this. Where does the bug bit go? But then, like, Tommy <laughs> was there. They had the bugs were in the people's heads and they were torment. I'm so lost. I also feel like it's very unclear. I don't know, I'm just like, in I my wish mind, I did. Like, there's just like a warehouse somewhere with a whole bunch of unconscious bugs and there's like a couple of other bugs looking after their bodies, like making sure no one comes for them while they're possessing the people. Because I can't understand how else it would fucking work. Or, I mean, and again, we have no, I have no evidence to support this. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> something, does something like that the bugs do, like put some sort of either like toxin or like opening and then an actual Krita can possess them? where it's like almost a two-step process like possession's not you know it's not actually that bug possessing that person it's just that that bug has like opened the door into the human which is sounds so stupid when I say it out loud it sounds so stupid but it makes almost more sense than like the bugs just sort of like 
then not having their consciousness. I kind of like that. It kind of makes it sound like the <laughs> bugs are kind of like familiars. Like the bug mm-hmm. is like the pet of the Akrita, which is a different being. And then the bug like preps the vessel. Yeah, I think I'd like that. I think that would make sense. So we know a lot about the Akrita, but we know nothing about the Akrita. Yeah, and like we're cool. 10 episodes in. And-, <laughs> and we are getting really close to the end of the season where apparently we're going to like no we have to they have to wrap up at least part of the Akrita storyline like right like they have to like you can't that can't be one of the cliffhangers or leave it at this point we don't even know if we're getting a season two and I still don't know like we still don't know what the main villain if that's not wrapped up and we don't get a season two then this is going to be like up to our imaginations on how John and Mary fix all of this and somehow link it back to Supernatural. <laughs> I think based on like what Robbie has said is that like season one will wrap up. Like he is, you made it pretty clear in a couple of interviews that the attention. Every season basically needs to be a closed circuit in order for this format to work. Yeah. And I think he pretty much said that, like that that's the plan is that this is a closed sort of story with threads that can lead further so I hope that that his inter- his version of that is true like I hope that that's the threads the are Carlos and Lata and the closed story is the <laughs> and potentially John and Mary like this iteration of them and we have to talk about the fact that Lata has mind wiping powers because yes yes oh yeah that, that is uh, something I hadn't thought about till this exact second I'm like oh my god what an interesting thing to include in the episodes Either Latha going villain and wiping their minds for some reason, or Latha wiping their minds because they ask her to. Like, is this, is there a scenario where, like, there's also the possibility of, like, that phone call from, like, fucking episode two or something, where, like, Latha calls someone from home and we're, like, she clearly has an issue with, like, her family that we never learned anymore about. What if she erases everything because something comes up about her past and she's like, I have to keep you safe from knowing, like, anything with me involved? You can't, you know what I mean? I would get the job done, honestly. It would be sad, but... But then she'd have to wipe so far. That would preserve the actual John and Mary, like the original John and Mary meeting that has nothing to do with the supernatural. Like just the movie theater would be preserved if she just wipes herself and nothing. But can she, like, but the thing is she has to wipe the whole storyline that involves her because we also know John has to forget the supernatural altogether. Mm -hmm. So she has to wipe everything. Like I'm trying to think time-wise. If she wipes back to... When they meet John, that's fine, but that doesn't fix the fact that Mary knows John. So that means, like, do we interpret season four Mary as, like, just faking it with John? Like, she's just pretending that he doesn't know about the supernatural and that he never experienced this? Which I would be so interested if Mary was, like, holding on to this. Okay, but if we just wipe back to when John and Lotha met, or even, like, a little bit earlier. So if we just wipe, like, everything past the movie theater. It just doesn't work for, for... if it's it can't doesn't work if it's Lotha it only works if there's it's for John's sake because if it's for Lotha's sake she'd have to wipe herself out of Mary and Carlos would would go too far back but if it's just something to if it's something related to this storyline then she only has to go back that far and then like John and Mary just need to run into each other one more time go oh hey you're the person I bumped into at the movies and bing bing boom like timeline saved they're still gonna get together and from her perspective she doesn't necessarily know that they end up together if she thinks that or for whatever reason, that they're safer off without knowing each other. I just imagine that even if Lotha does go total evil, she'd still want Mary and John to be happy together. <laughs> I would be really curious if that was the case, considering her, like, history with Mary. Like, if she sees John as a threat, because also, like, John 
is scary can be scary like if she sees john as dangerous to marry which like he kind of is at this point regardless of which direction they take it because like i think that all of the ideas we've just like spitballed mm-hmm. like honestly all of them are probably as equally likely as each other like, <laughs> because we have not been able to like really accurately predict basically anything so just spitballing random shit is probably our best way to go. i mean we've been right about a lot of things because we just throw out every crazy idea that we have that's how jamie taught us <laughs> <laughs> i think regardless of what they do they've set it up it is the perfect like Chekhov's gun because they have introduced the ability they've talked about it they have like clarified the process like they've said oh it's you know two-part process excavation and erasure like they've outlined it for us we know that at least the excavation bit works which oh I forgot to mention but the like blue gin magic effect fucking beautiful so cool I wanted to see more of that I want to see more of Latha's whatever Latha's stuff is I do want to see more of it because it's super fascinating like the particular brand of magic is yeah I'd like to ask a bazillion questions to both Latha and Ava about what magic shit they have going on I have so many questions I think we've had that since the beginning with all this like botanical thematic stuff that is super new I just think that they've set it up so explicitly and specifically if they don't then capitalize on this in the next three episodes it's it'll be weird like why devote time to it and honestly like you were kind of saying like other than Kyle's death you get to the end of this episode and you're kind of like well what was achieved and like that's a great point unless you think of this as a milestone they had to achieve and the fact that they used Roxy to do it is just like a nice cohesive narrative way to tie it in in a way that makes sense and helps established this ability that Latha has and explicitly explained to the audience how and why and when it works and also that it's a different different session like it's different segments so you know you don't have to just you don't have to remember and then remove you can just do one or the other like theoretically and I really liked the like Roxy Carlos Latha story a lot so like I'm not mad about the fact that we didn't get a whole for a lot in plot and I really do hope that you're right Beth and that that is like holding us through a thing that comes back because I mean and they also know where the Acrea Queen is like that is the other plot gain in this episode I think that it is basically like the whole Carlos Latha plot line and Roxy plot line this episode first of all it's just very very fun and I enjoyed it so 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 much I think that's probably my favorite 20 minutes of the Winchesters that we've had up to this point but I also think that it is a really great example of heavy exposition done in a way that does not feel like heavy exposition because until you think about it like now we're like deliberately analyzing and talking through it it doesn't feel exposition heavy but like thinking about what they cover and the discussions that are had and the way that they outline this magic it is so exposition heavy you just don't necessarily notice when you're watching because it is so enjoyable to watch i'm a potential checkoffs gun situation that i Ooh. think we need to keep our eye on and that is mary's ksu letter which i was actually i was i thought the scene was so nice john was so nice and supportive and this little smile and then such a good mirror to like or such a good contrast to again sam and stanford my concern is is that the like alarm thing goes off and Mary puts the letter on her desk in the main room. And I'm very concerned that one and or both of her parents are going to come home and see this letter and not have that reaction. I <gasps> didn't think of that. 
we could get a Stanford, a Stanford. Yeah, because that's something we did not have in Supernatural. There is no actual like scene in Supernatural where we see the reaction. We hear about it. It's referenced a lot, but there is no scene that deals with Sam's like Stanford acceptance letter. But we know that there's a big fight and Sam gets disowned at the end. And I am just very concerned. Like Samuel knows that she wants out, but he hasn't really confronted that reality and he's gone. Deanna, we don't even know if Deanna knows that Mary wants out. Like, we have no idea what she knows about her child. And she could just come home at any time. We have no idea where she is. And I'm just very concerned about what that reaction will be from her parents. And they just, she left it out in the open. And, and they, like, lingered, a shot lingered on it. And I was like, okay, that's gonna come. And then it didn't come back. And I was like, um, I'm ner- I'm more nervous. They referenced university again. Like, they referenced it again at the, at the end. end of the episode. Like, they are clearly, it's important. For us to know that she got in and that, that that her getting in is in conflict with her life as a hunter like they want yeah. us to know that there's a conflict there beth you were like freaking out kj i am so 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 glad that you pointed that out because that did not occur to me in the slightest and now i feel like a dumbass but i'm so excited <laughs> about it because what if we end up with this concept first of all actually what it reminded me of was the job application on dean's desk oh yeah that too that was where my brain went so i didn't even think about the fact that it was just left in the open for like samuel to come back and see i've read too many fics about stanford era sam (laughs) for that not to be a thing i noticed no i love it (laughs) i wonder if when we come back to mary's house at some point because i assume we're going to deal with what's happening with john next episode but I'm wondering if this is what's going to spawn the thing where John told her that he would take her away. If she gets disowned for the university thing, like if Samuel comes home and he's like, what the hell is this? And like, they have a blowout fight. I wonder if this is going to be the instigator of take me away. The only thing with that is, is then it has to become a recurring thing because that's something that they talk about they would have to mind after mm-hmm. the mind, like they would, they have to get that mm-hmm. back that that part can't get mind wiped because she, when she says it to John in season four, he responds, like he responds to that. Like he clearly remembers saying it. So I would be fascinated to see that. I also like think that this, this whole thing, like if they find the, I wonder if like they, they find the letter, if there's some big blowout and she stays hunting which we know she does. Yeah. But then if that's like the real turning point for like the conflict that we really, because right now they've kind of fixed her and Samuel's relationship. Yeah. At least and... as much as it can be without like, you know, intensive therapy. <laughs> when he's not here. <laughs> we need 10 seasons just to cover it's, that. It's fixed because he's absent. Like they don't have to deal with it because he's just not here. But yeah. And they're kind of on this like, we'll address this again when the later are dealt with. But clearly- they're not going to that's happening mary applied for you know, for college she like did that no that would have been a while ago that would have not like considering how college applications usually work like this would have been before they found samuel so this would have been like maybe even probably even before she met john potentially the only two versions of mary that we have seen are hunter and housewife so um what do you think mary should be studying <laughs> what's a good job for mary winchester social work that would be my immediate thought oh i like that to be fair, I have devoted no thinking time to that. That was just my gut instinct, but <laughs> I love your gut instincts. Yeah, I don't even I don't have a better answer than that, honestly. I wrote the question in my notes and I've not I've no suggestions in my notes. Like I have nothing to go on. Like Yeah, I think that she would want to do something that would help people. I also think it sets it up to be the perfect antithesis to John. Someone who someone should have called CPS on a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like Sam, like 
like, I guess you could picture him as a lawyer, but you can't really because he's just like a giant man who's always like pointing a gun at something. Like, <laughs> uh, he's a hunter. That is just who he is. Like, I don't know what to tell you. The only connection to like being a lawyer is that he's like intelligent. Like, that is the most like a lawyer trait that he has is that he's good with studying. He's a better man of letters than he is a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. he And he's a better like head of hunter operations yeah. kind of person. Honestly, so far, I think that John and Mary are also both better men of letters than they are hunters, but... Yeah, Carlos is Carlos is the best, like, hunter of Hunter, them, hunter. Lotha is, like, a perfect woman of letters, like... I have men of letters question. So, in an ideal world, like, hunters and men of letters would get along, and they just consistently hate each other. Every time we meet a hunter who knows about the men of letters, every time we meet a man of letters, like, they just can't help but insult each other, but, like, they're, like, a good... They should, on paper work well together i'm trying to remember in supernatural if we got like some history of why they were always at odds but i feel like we literally don't they're just like hunters or apes <laughs> like i think it's just a bit of an ideology like men of letters are like when you think of like the british men of letters like they're concerned with like how do we create a system where we can kill all the monsters and how we do that is by we we like capture monsters monsters and we investigate them and we like Men of Letters feel very long-term vision and hunters feel very like, I want to save this person in front of me. And that should mean they work well together, but it, I think mostly means they like find ways to disagree with each other's methods. I always saw it as a commentary on white versus blue collar workers. I think that is absolutely what it's supposed to be. I just, every time I see it, I'm like, watch like two episodes of Buffy and uh, realize the error of your ways. We need to combine these two skills. And like Sam and Dean are the perfect example. Like, yeah, it's this concept where they both seem to think that their role in the situation is the most important one. And like, mm-hmm. without recognizing the fact that without the other side, you would not be able to do the thing you think is most important. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And like, also, you know, the men of letters are going like, what can we learn about monsters to like, stop these things long term? And hunters are like, we're going to stop these things short term. Like you need people who are going to oh, like, yeah. save the people who are currently being attacked by monsters. Well, you research how to get rid of monsters forever. I think like men of letters are super interesting, but my big issue with men of letters is the timeline stuff. Even in this episode, some timeline stuff I have some questions about. Oh, same. Are we gonna just do? Are we gonna? Are we moving into this part of the episode, the part where we talk about? We have to talk about this storyline. I don't think I can come up with any more points about Carlos and Lotha besides how much I love them. So I think we have to move on. <laughs> I would like to vote that we skip right to. John and Mary uh, looking at the file because I don't care about anything that happens before that. <laughs> I just want to say that like it's the like least it's like such a terrible job of hiding their villain. Oh yeah. Such a terrible job and like not in an interesting way. Like not in an interesting way. It's just too obvious. It's also too um, what's his face? It's reminding me way too much of white suit guy in Supernatural. Oh the, the Kentucky Kentucky Fried. <laughs> yeah what's his Yes. As it is, too much, too similar, too similar in like vibes, not just because of the accents, but vibes. And I was like, meh, not into it. I didn't like him, didn't find him very compelling. I don't find this guy compelling. When he first popped up, I was like very convinced that I had knocked my really dumb Cuthbert Sinclair off my bingo card. <laughs> I also was expecting that, that. Would have been so much better. But he's just like a Cuthbert Sinclair wannabe. Because, and, like, the yeah. thing that, like, really made me think that maybe they were the same person was that, like, he made some comment about lobotomizing monsters to make them, like, watchdogs for the Men of Letters. And, like, Cuthbert Sinclair is the guy who, like, brought Mrs. Butters to the bunker. And I was like, okay, cool. But also, like, this guy is clearly more evil because 
Henry Winchester was still friends with Sinclair for two years after he got kicked out. And clearly they had some animosity with this guy. So like, I I was like, I I don't like this guy. (laughs) Mary calling him tea time was very funny. I, I liked that. It was a very Dean moment. Giving a villain a funny little nickname. Goodbye. The uh the writer's room for Supernatural and the Winchester is just like a calendar. So I don't know <laughs> if they know how time works. <laughs> I also had this question. I don't know how this fits. According to this very badly written file, this is a ridiculous file. First of all, it has exactly the information that Julie may read out loud in it and nothing else. <laughs> and I feel like there should be other things in this file. According to this file, Henry Winchester is an initiate with the Menelaus for at least five years. And I would just like to know how long you have to be an initiate before before they're like, okay, yeah, you can know everything. Because they kicked this Jack Wilcox guy out on September 1st, 1953. And Henry and Josie's initiation night was August 12th, 1958. That's a a huge chunk of time. Yeah, you think that Henry would have to know at least some things if he had he knows enough that like they're experimenting on monsters and stuff. Well, and if he knows enough that this guy's got beef with him, like yeah, and same thing with the Cuthbert Sinclair detail from Supernatural itself. Like the timeline just doesn't quite work. (laughs) I am also just really unclear about the accretic timeline here. Like yeah, very confused. The the accreta. Also, the men of letters all disappearing. Also, the Abaddon Henry stuff that we know was happening. Like, I'm confused as to, like, how this all lines up. Again, partly also because we don't know what the heck is this time. Like, the uh, incident ha- that we saw in the very beginning of the episode was 1957, which is the year before the men of letters got wiped out. But four, three or four years after Jack got kicked out of the men of letters, like, it's, it's very confusing. So the Akrita show up somewhere in there. So the Akrita and uh, the whole Abaddon thing are happening, like, back to back. Somewhat simultaneously. simultaneously. <laughs> which seems like, are they connected? Which make, make I'm, I'm just going to quickly Google when that, like, Henry Abaddon Josie possession actually I happened. I think it's 1958, I want to say. I yeah, I want to say that that's correct as well. So like that's when Henry, because that's when Henry disappears. Is like 1958. Yeah. While you're double checking that, I'm just gonna very quickly point out a couple of things from the very opening scene. First of all, it was so desaturated that I thought it was in black and white. Like I was <laughs> so did I. <laughs> oh, this is like when the episode they find the bunker and it's like in black and white at the start. I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And then she turned around. I'm like, no, her lips are red. I was like, so yeah, it's, it's like so desaturated in kind of the worst way. Like not enough. I'm like you. Just turn yeah. it black and white. Yeah, I'm like, you could have done that. That's cooler. That's cooler and doesn't look as, like, kind of weird. Yeah. It was March of 1957. So these things are happening <laughs> simultaneously. Okay, they had better fucking explain how we understand what's <laughs> happening in the time. What the fuck is happening in the timeline? I would just like to buy everyone a calendar. Uh, you get a calendar, <laughs> you get a calendar. Everybody gets a calendar. Yeah. Yeah, stop relying on the whiteboard in the Supernatural Writers Room. Things get Things get rubbed off on that. It's it's you need a new system at this point i am like a centimeter away from just like going to kmart buying a whiteboard and drawing the timeline myself and just trying to fucking play (laughs) i genuinely have started in excel because i'm doing my supernatural rewrite fic and i'm like i need a timeline i think to keep this shit straight (laughs) and i don't understand why they don't have a timeline and at some point you're gonna need a column in that time in that spreadsheet to note when the canon contradicts itself. The thing is that the Winchesters either has the potential to like help explain 
some of the canon that makes no sense yeah or it has the potential to make it much much make worse so much worse yeah because i know like i know when i get to a timeline like when i'm doing my rewrite i'll just fix the timeline as i go i'll just make it fit <laughs> better without contradicting itself but they have they have to fix it from the 70s they have to try and fix stuff that will affect the timeline in 20 30 40 years well yeah like the mothership just like created itself a timeline paradox more than once that now the prequel is maybe trying to fix and maybe trying to not fix yeah um but yeah that was march of 1957 so those are happening like simultaneously those are simultaneous issues uh the akrita and i mean it does lend some potential credence to the like the akrita connected to chuck kind of thing I would have said that maybe they were rushing Henry and Josie through their initiation because of the threat of the Akrita, except now we know that they've made a five-year But that doesn't make sense either. Like, that could have been it. They could have said, yeah, we were rushing the application. Like, we rushed it through because we needed more hands on deck. Wait a second. What did you say? When did you say this file said they were initiated? 1958? I thought 1957 is when the whole Abaddon thing happens. It was August of 1958. And- but then... The Abaddon stuff happens before that? Yeah, the so like the initial Abaddon thing. Okay. And then he disappears. When does he disappear? August of 1958. So right after the initiation. Yeah, that was his initiation night. Like that was when they were supposed to get initiated. Right. Yeah, right, right. I, oh, this is so... Like I, I could have bought, I could have bought that it was like a multi-year thing, but like... Five years is a lot longer than I would have ever expected that to take. Okay, maybe this is five years the same way that the gap between 1519 and 1520 was five years. Like, maybe it's right. just... Someone just, <laughs> someone just put a date, someone just wrote some dates in a file and was like, they won't look that closely. And <laughs> reader, they looked closely. I need a visual aid to understand this. Like, genuinely, I'm so... Maybe after this, I will go buy a whiteboard and just, like, before we have next episode, I'll spend the week off organizing the timeline <laughs> and and all of the potential it's going to be like that like that good place timeline like, Jeremy, this Jeremy. Is how, yeah this, this is <laughs> i was gonna say we're yeah. all cheaty being like the dot is what like tuesday is what got me like <laughs> <laughs> actually do you know what the fact that it's an eternal tuesday <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's on brand um Sorry, i was gonna say one other thing about that opening sequence that i wanted to quickly mention dorothea and the other woman in that scene so queer right like the their interaction i was like are they gonna fuck i was like what is happening okay he's not the only one i was like what is happening what are the vibes jack here? is like obsessed with his wife but his wife is absolutely a closeted lesbian i was like this is some <laughs> lesbian energy <laughs> especially for that era like the whole like femme butch sort of like things they're playing with there with like this like they look very femme but the energy's very butch the inflection of it and the whole thing about like oh and i've already got a pot roast at home in the oven i was like what is this like yeah. i'm like this might be a murder and this might be a porno and i'm not sure <laughs> okay on a, on a like less like fun note like she's dead right like dorothea should be dead like how long does it take jack to find her like she's not getting i'm i'm sorry i know he puts her in stasis or whatever fuck the fuck he says he does but like it's too long she's been dead for too long he doesn't have the power of resurrection clearly so i do not know how this how is he gonna find her immediately like she's stuck on the road the vibe it gave me of this plan was uh the cheryl tony thomasina abigail 
Riverdale <laughs> bat- season six. It does have that energy. Oh my god. For those of you who haven't watched season six of Riverdale, uh, specifically the season six finale of Riverdale, the ancestors of a previous <laughs> couple uh, were also a couple. They no, they possessed their. It was interesting. They possessed their descendants' bodies, who are exes at this point. To be yes. very clear, one of them has gotten married to someone else. They possessed their exes' bodies so they could have sex one more time. For no real important plot reason, just because they really want to. The most awkward sex scene of all time. It's awful. It's terrible. It's like, mm, they did not consult a, an actual, like, an actual lesbian couple. Or any lesbian. And they've had other sex scenes before that were, like, maybe not great, but better. It's just very clear that no one wanted to be there for that one. <laughs> Last week I joked about the Riverdaleification of Winchester's. <laughs> <laughs> We've joked about it too many times for it to be a joke anymore. If Kyle turns out not to really be dead, I'm going to lose my shit. (laughs) Oh, I would not. That would not surprise me in the least, given. No, it wouldn't surprise me that much either. But like the Riverdaleification would be real. (laughs) I find it so funny that you guys were like, that it reminded you of Riverdale. Because like, I see it. Like, I don't watch Riverdale. But like, I remember (laughs) you guys talking about that episode in the group chat and being like, what the fuck is happening? But that's a delight. What it reminded me of is the second to last episode of season three of Supernatural with Doc Benton. And it's the uh... it's the episode, it's a Sarah Gamble episode. And I usually quite enjoy her episodes, especially in like the first seasons. But this episode is the bane of my bad. existence. It is the dumbest thing I have ever heard of. And the moment when the guy is like, oh yeah, I need John's body for my procedure. I was like, this is the same problem with Doc Benton. How the fuck are you going to perform surgery on your <laughs> How are you going to do that? Like, Doc Benton, yeah, I'll replace my own fucking lung. That makes sense. You're like, you'll be dead. He gave up that plan halfway through because like once he realized that John was going to be a problem, he just like, killed John. Like, yeah. that was so 180 on that. I'll be 70 and my wife will be 20. The, the prepared age gap will be the least immoral thing about this situation. Yeah. The least questionable thing about this situation. Yeah, so, no. the 20-year-old girl will still be in there just like, oh, I hate it so much. I hate this whole plot line. They could have written this storyline and just not included that one detail. Like, they could have just been like, yeah, you'll be dead and, like, left it at that. But then specifically, like, no, you'll both still be alive in there. Creepy as fuck. Like, I'm sorry. Especially when we have, like, Roxy's, like, we see her go through that process of remembering the trauma of not being in control of her own body and her own voice. And we've seen that time and time again. We have 15 seasons of Supernatural for that exact thing. Well, like, possession is, like, widely considered, like, one of the worst things that can happen to anyone in Supernatural, like, of any kind of monster interaction. That's the worst. Meg, all the way to, like angel possessing sam while he kills kevin like all the way through like it's just never good it's not been good for anybody and i just can't get over the fact that i just can't i don't know i can't get over the fact that she's already dead like that they like they set up in the cold open that she's all like yeah if she's if she's brain dead then there's nothing to transfer over she's gone like she's i'm sorry but you if unless he literally drives up even what consciousness is left like, well, also, what transfer. materials does he have to do anything if he, like, drives yeah. up? Unless he knows this is happening. Like, he's not, I don't know, he's just not that good. I also want to know why she was out driving so late when she had something at home in the oven. That, like, I realize that's not the top priority, but, like, if... Were crockpots a thing at that point? When is the earliest crockpot? Also, this is us, Watcher. We can't trust the crockpot either. 
I trust the crockpot all the time. I love my crockpot, but <laughs> <laughs> so I don't don't make me don't make me mistrust my crockpot. I'm just saying that this is us ruined the crockpot. They had to they had to do a commercial endorsing crockpot. <laughs> Because this version of Crockpot killed off everyone's favorite character. 1971. So the Crockpot didn't exist. Okay, so never mind. It's in the real actual oven. We've solved that mystery. So it's an irresponsible cooking choice is what we decided. (laughs) I think that John and Mary take too long to figure out that he's questionable and do something about it check right away i just don't like that they've already invested time and energy into going along with the plan first yeah like it just takes them too long because he's he's suspicious so quickly and they just like don't do anything about it they like walk right into his trap and it just does not is like yeah like john is not as experienced mary is very experienced and like together they've been through a lot and also like they are really aware of like there is a lot of possessions happening right now there's a lot of like I do like that they tested for possessions right away. Like, they did do that. They got that out of the way. But then um, after they tested for possessions, they didn't, like, consider that, like, a human can also be terrible. Like, a human can also be terrible. Like, you don't have to be possessed to be a villain. And they just, like, were like, oh, he's not possessed, so obviously he's exactly who he says he is, and his motives are pure. And there's nothing questionable about the fact that he re- he survived and then retired right around when the rest of the metal letters like I died or disappeared. I have an additional question. Sorry, the timeline. I mean, it's probably just another thing where they just forgot. But okay, so like, okay, say, okay, obviously he lied when he said he didn't know who Henry Winchester was. Like, that was clearly a lie. But like, to just say you have no recollection of the name, I don't know if y'all remember this detail from season eight of Supernatural, but father wasn't the first man of letters in their family his grandfather was also a man of letters oh there's so many holes he didn't just go like oh no i get general henry but i know like whatever henry's father's name is i mean they would have to make something up like there's no canon on that but like we know he was a man of letters that's the only detail we know about him like henry is like a third or fourth generation man of letters like it's not like he was the first one so the name winchester at least should be based on that it should be weird for john particularly it's good that they went and did the research. It's bad that they waited to do the research until they'd already taken out an officer of the law. They just straight up killed another person of color and did just yep. did not address that at all. Like, I assume his body is still just in the clubhouse. Do we know how the Akrita, like, can commu- Do we know if they, like, can communicate with one another? Because, like, I've been assuming hive mind. Yeah, because <laughs> in that case, they're setting John up for a murder. And then John and Mary kidnapped this police officer and now he's also dead. So like, even if no one saw them, the other Akrita probably know that happened. And like, that's not going to look great with this additional murder that John's going down for. I think the the chances that this comes back to bite them in the ass in terms of like John, especially considering they've been setting up all of these like pins of like, John's been in trouble with the law before. Mary's been in trouble Mm -hmm. with the law before. The police have files on them. Like, they are in trouble for more than just, like, one murder. I will be shocked if next episode doesn't have a one-on-one chat with Betty and John, like, where he's in custody and she's, like, interrogating him. Like, I'll be really surprised if we don't get that. I think we're going to see Betty next week. Very excited for next week. Yeah, I, yeah, I will say, like, despite the fact that this episode, like, was not my favorite, I feel like there is... I'm so excited about next week based on like the setup in this episode is I'm appreciating us talking about it because I I can appreciate more of the like things that it is doing though I still don't appreciate this storyline can we go from the murderer of a person of color into the 
Judaism stuff because it's hit it's or miss. That's the main. That's the main reason I was like really uncomfortable with this episode. This is the thing where I was like, this is not like there's. I don't even have words. Like it's there's no point. Like they did not need to do this. There was no need for them to have a golem and then do what they did with a golem. We had interesting golem lore in earlier seasons. Do something. Do better. Like yeah. do much much better if you were going to introduce a golem do not do do not do that like it's really yeah really like bad. this guy is just like here to be a villain he's like not a great villain as we've already established um he also there's also nothing about him that suggests that he's jewish in any way like wilcox is not a jewish name and he already established that he could lobotomize any monster and turn it into a washout so like we had the we had a pick of monsters we could have had any monster we wanted well, and like the show so far, I would say has done pretty well at like bringing in a combination of like returning monsters and new monsters, mm-hmm. and like bring us in a new monster. Like, yeah, have fun. I'd be happy to. See, I'd be happy to see a golem again. I just was not happy to yeah. see it in this context. Yes, um, I was excited that Mary immediately knew what that was. Um, as you might know, my like supernatural friends have fully convinced me that the Campbells are Jewish. So I was like, that is a check mark on that box. Feeling more and more confident as we go about that but like other than that like i wish they had done this better if they were going to use a golem like i think there was like i just also think it's bizarre that like it's not established at all because like the uh, the episode in supernatural where we have yeah. golem is uh the episode with aaron in season eight and like it's very much established through the whole episode that the golem is present and like you know whatnot but in this episode he just fucking appears i'm like where have you been the whole episode like yeah, we don't know where this golem came from. There's no anything to do with it. I think it's also really problematic that he's being controlled by a guy who performs yes. medical experiments on people, like on yes. human beings. That's yes. hugely yes. problematic. And the the method and manner of the death of the golem is also yes. mm-hmm. inherently like awful. Big, big issues. And like, there's no good reason and there's no good expl- explanation. And it, do- it doesn't add anything to this episode at all. It actually weakens the episode because it's mm-hmm. also, on top of it being insensitive, it also makes no fucking sense. It not only doesn't add anything, it actually detracts like actively in multiple mm-hmm. areas. And it's just a silly choice. Like I knew this was going to be a feature of this episode before I watched because I saw some I saw some tweets from a couple of supernatural people that I follow who have talked a lot about like Jewishness in Supernatural and the way it's handled and and who have talked a lot about that in their works. And so I had seen a couple of their people tweets about these issues. And I want to like say that because I'm like, partly like, I'm not a Jewish person. I can't speak for that. Like, but that's who I was listening. That's who I was listening to and like learning from and want to acknowledge in, in this conversation, like they were talking about how like, yeah, this was a super big problem. And so I like went into it knowing it was going to happen or not knowing all the details, but knowing that there was this Some element. Issue. And I think it just tainted, I think it just like tainted it because I could see it coming and go like this, like I, there's nothing redeemable in it. And it made the whole episode leave us kind of bad taste in my mouth. Every time they flipped back to Jack and that storyline, I was like, I do not want to, I do not, like, I, I just want to get to the end of this storyline because I'm not interested in, in any of this. I wanted to get back to the Carlos and Lotha because I was like, I would rather spend the time with them than seeing something that I know is going to be like. Yeah, there are so many great people who talk about 
supernatural and uh being jewish and like the jewish influence on supernatural and like they're all great i recommend all of them to everyone yeah and they'll talk about really like positive things as well and so i think that like getting that is really important and i think that's part of why this episode really was disappointing is because there are some really positive things that people have pulled out from supernatural and so this is like a this does not add anything positive, unfortunately. So we'll link to those people. We'll link to a couple of those people. There's a podcast, uh, at least one podcast that looks at Supernatural through a Jewish lens. There's two at least. Okay, yeah. That I know of. We'll link to a few of those people in our episode description. My personal feelings honestly don't matter um, in this, but I actually really loved the golem in Supernatural. So I was actually really disappointed that it was done badly. Like I just, that's one of my favorite episodes of Supernatural, um, like standalone episodes. It's not even really a standalone episode because like the villain is like a recurring villain. It's just like not one of the main season villains. It's like a, every once in a while. Yeah, I also like that episode. Um, it's a great episode. For a, vari- for a variety of reasons. Like Adam Rose's character is really, really fantastic Jewish <laughs> yeah. character in that episode. I think that's like a really great, like really positive. And like Adam Rose has talked about that. Mm-hmm. cons like about that influence and like about that exploring that character yeah and like in that episode like the golem is something that's like an empowering tool for them to use to protect their culture and here it's just used to be a thing that they can have a big fight with give a vampire a lobotomy john would love to kill a vampire he didn't really get Literally, to kill they could have done a callback to last episode it would have been <laughs> perfect so satisfying if john had gotten to kill like a vampire in that moment like don't come in here bragging about how you can lobotomize any monster for your own like will and then not do it that's rude what's really frustrating as well is that like outside of the fact that they used a golem like the fight sequence and stuff was really fun like john's like mm-hmm. his little bits about his like spleen or whatever and they're like you know when he hits him with the lamp like i thought the choreography was great like the little bits within it were great but it's just like the mm-hmm. fact that he's fighting a golem at all is just so it's just it just ruins it like yeah. any other monster like just about like it would have been such a fun fight scene but like yeah it just mm-hmm. un- the whole way through yeah, I think the writing really, like, that is a real miss. Let's move on to move on. Uh, to John and Mary creating some serious irony. <laughs> <laughs> he did all that just to resurrect his wife. Things we do for love. John Winchester. Mary was right in this conversation. Oh, yeah. The TikTok's basically making itself at this point. Like, I'm barely have, gonna have to do any work <laughs> to make this TikTok. Uh, Mary like makes John promise that they're not gonna like be like obsessive love people she says explicitly she says like that's not love like Mm -hmm. after John says the things we do for love she says that's not love she's like he was willing to do anything to get his wife back didn't matter if it cost him his humanity to get it that'll never be us right I'm just gonna that scene and then John and Mary finding out that Sam and Dean are their kids in the season five episode. And then Dean explained to season 12, Mary, uh, that they were raised to be hunters and John totally lost it after they died. Like oh, those three, that, that's it. That's the TikTok. That's the progression. I appreciate <laughs> that we've come back to this because we were leaning really heavily on it in the first handful of episodes. And then the last few episodes, we've kind of leaned away from like the degradation of John Winchester, as we have quoted Drake many times. And I like that we're kind of leaning back towards mm-hmm. that now of like, it is when they're at their best. 
yeah it's the like it was the best John and Mary scene in this episode I think that and the talking about Stanford scene or talking about Stanford talking about KSU scene I actually would love to know what Mary put in her college essay um they make a joke about (laughs) like oh too bad you can't put this in your essay (laughs) what did Mary Campbell write in her college essay she did the same thing as Sam in After School Special, wrote a completely 100% legitimate story and then passed it off as fiction. You know what? Valid, honestly. It worked for Sam. I would actually, I would love to read Sam's Stanford application. Hasn't been in one school more than three months at a time for his entire education. At least Mary's makes more sense. Like she's applying to a close school and also she's applying not to like a Stanford level school. <laughs> she's applying to like the local school. And like, presumably she went to high school in the town. The last scene we should talk about, we've we've kind of talked about the Kyle and John scene, but like. John was very, like, he really just didn't want to, he didn't want to do it. He was concerned about Kyle and he like tried really hard not to fall into that very like clear trap that was happening. He's like, okay, this is a trap and I don't want to fight this person. When Kyle pulls out the knife and, like, John puts his hand out, I was like, oh, this is so early season Sam. Like, psychic put his hand Mm -hmm. out to, like, do that. I was like, that's so Sam. Mm -hmm. Like, that's all I could see in that moment was, like, you know, Sam with, like, Ava or something, like, trying to be like, you don't have to do this. Like, you know, please don't do Or, like, with Max. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. John felt very much like Sam too in that he feel he felt like trapped in this like destiny that's been sort of chosen for him like the Akrita are going we're gonna play you and like yeah and he's John's trapped in this like reputation of being like angry angry and like that's very much Sam like even Dean and Bobby think that Sam is too angry to maintain control of himself like yeah and they're using and it's being used against John in this they're like the police you know like they're like if We've, I've made this call. I've left this these trail of breadcrumbs. The police are going to show up and they 100% are going to blame you. And the evidence is all going to point there. Yeah. I want to give some credit to the Akrita for coming up with this plan, actually. Like, credit, plan. credit is due. Like, this is fucking rock solid. Like, yeah. I can't think of a way that John could have gotten out of this, you know? Because even if John had left, there still would have been a dead Kyle with all of the evidence and the phone call. And yeah. In the garage, like... And then just John's just on the run. Like, it's almost worse. Yeah, because then it looks like he's fled the scene. It's very, like, Eddie's Stranger Things, like, when Chrissy dies. Like, you are kind of fucked. You're fucked by the circumstance, regardless of... The reality. Yeah. 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 It's guilty by association. Like, he's guilty by association. He's guilty because he's associated with all of this other stuff that's been happening, even though this particular incident is a trap. Mm-hmm. Oh, R.I.P. Kyle. Yeah, I am... Even more bummed that he's not an angel now <laughs> that he's dead than I was when we learned he was possessed by the Akrita. <laughs> I just feel bad that he's dead. Like, at least if he was possessed by an angel, there's, like, a pretty good shot he'd make it out of that sort of alive. Yeah, I think he's really, it's really sad, too, because he's, like, the Akrita say, like, is he just a way to get to I John? I actually really liked him as an Akrita, too. Like, when they were doing that little, like, pizza party dinner meeting thing with the other Krita. I really liked him in that scene. I, I'm actually kind of sad that he's dead. Yeah, theoretically, we could see, we would see that Akrita's not dead. Yeah, but I assume he's probably not going to stick around in that body. I mean, maybe. Do the, does the body need to be alive? We don't know. His consciousness has gone back to the bug. The bug has gotten <laughs> up off the ground in the fucking infirmary where they're all hanging out. 
how is this something we don't know? How is this the thing that like we don't know at this point? I would love to sit down with Robbie Thompson and just ask, like, how does it work? We had an in-depth episode when the accretive possession was first introduced. That whole episode was like in-depth accretive possession, and we still have fucking I'm idea so, what's going so on. Confused. With demons, like they had really good visual cues of like mm-hmm. the black smoke. And so we would always know when someone and the eyes. So we would like have cues as to like when someone was possessed and when they weren't. And but like because it's just the like mark on the back of the neck, like that's a good way. Yeah, of we don't know how conscious anyone know- is. And we don't know, I mean, like, when they stop being possessed. Like, we don't know. Yeah. We don't see that moment. So, like, with Kyle, we don't, we literally don't know. Maybe the Akrita is, like, just dormant in his corpse. But, like, or maybe he'll just pop back to life. But, like, what, like, what? We also have, like, what we were talking about before, where it's, like, the method of possession and also what happens to the body that's been possessed is so different. Because, like, yeah, Mary was going to die. The, all the people in that episode, like, fully died I'm pretty sure except Mary like mm-hmm. and now it's just like he's just possessed kind of like if a leviathan was possessing them like or a demon or it's like it's the same but it just it's just so I want messy. some rules I want some rules around how it works Robbie give us some rules please yeah <laughs> just some like clarification because it would help us understand I think the plot a little better I would care more about the creator if I understood what the fuck was happening it just feels like a lot of things are kind of being thrown at us. A lot of pieces of information, but without any like threads to tie them together. And so I hope like potentially that is coming in the next few episodes, but there's a lot of things that I have and questions about, and I don't know that they'll answer them all in three episodes. I feel like we're 10 episodes in. I don't think we have had that many significant questions answered about the accreta that we had from the fucking pilot. Because we mm-hmm. had the bugs in the pilot. We were like, what the hell are those? monster essence we had i think in the pilot of the second episode we haven't really had that fully answered either i forgot that that was even a thing until it was brought up again in this episode <laughs> i also kind of hate that they just call it monster essence i'm like i feel yeah. like they come up with a better name like that's kind of what the gang came up with like it feels, it feels weird. weird that they would come with the same name yeah i don't know i just feel like we haven't learned anything more since like the first two episodes and that's ridiculous giving it's only a 13 episode season and we're yeah. on- I think this show is doing well with Monster of the Week stuff, but I think it's actually doing like too well Monster of the Week stuff, and they should actually just like, not try if there's an if. And I hope I hope they get renewed for another season. I think that they should uh, scale back on the overarching plot because I don't think that's what's working for them. <laughs> so the only the only reason I will like still reserve a little bit of judgment is because if the overarching plot is connected to Dean and all of these things, and they start to wrap up, then that's my one exception. Like, it does seem like it's heading that direction. Uh, yeah, but I agree that, like, overall, the one-off stuff has been way better. I was very excited to see that other shot of Dean. Yes, another photograph of Dean. Are we ready to just switch, switch to, like, that? That's, like, the last thing I want to talk about is... Yeah. Let's talk about Dean voiceover. So, yeah, the over voice that we get at the start from Dean is, hunting and happy endings don't usually mix. So when you get your chance, you got to ask yourself, how far will I go to get it? Which... I don't even know how, like, how many times can we say that, like, Destiel. this seems to be about <laughs> Destiel and the finale? Like, how many times can we say that about the voiceovers, that they seem to be connected to that? Like, I, I will be floored if it's not connected. As much as we hated, like, the whole villain arc of this episode, we do get the line from him where he's talking about his dead wife and saying, 
there's no world worth saving without her being in it. And like, if you think about like 15, 19 and like that whole fucking ultimatum where Dean's like, I'll kill Sam. I don't give a shit. Like we'll, we'll do whatever you want. Just like bring him back, run back, bring cast. I'm just kind of sitting here. Like, I don't understand what other connection they could expect us to be making and the fact that it's talking about like hunters don't often have happy endings and we know dean does not have a happy ending and like when you get your chance how far are you willing to go to get it like this whole episode is a this fucking dude the empty that's a (laughs) i also yeah that's i wonder if this is also like a double meaning is not only just like how far morality wise but how far like literally how far how far has dean gone back in time how far has he gone to the empty like i really like mm. That was the first thing I thought when I heard that voiceover. I was like, yeah, how far would you go? Because so far you've made it to 72. Like, <laughs> And you're fucking around with something there. Who knows how long he's been here? And what he's doing and what he knows about the Akrita and why he's interfering. Because like now we know the Akrita have been like chilling around for like 30 years already. Like, Well, I think they, I think they talked about how they'd been here for like even longer, I think at one point in one of the earlier episodes. Well, okay, so the Akrita are aware of Dean. But like vaguely, they don't really know who he is. They're like, this guy is a problem. (laughs) But they also say the way they're going to handle him is by spilling a little human blood. So I think that this, this thing with Kyle is potentially, potentially, I'm really hoping I'm right about this. I think this is a trap, not only a trap for John, but also a trap to lure Dean out. And I really hope that that's well, yeah, because he's gonna have to preserve that timeline or else he and Sam are not getting born. Like, (laughs) the only like side of like this whole conflict that knows how Dean is relevant is the audience. Like, no one else knows. Like, like, none of the gang know, none of the accredited know. The only people who know what like Dean means is the audience. Like, that's that's why they can't even know the picture and we go, oh. Okay, and we make a bunch of connections because we know. But yeah, like they're like, I don't know, it's just some fucking guy. Like, <laughs> I have some things I want to say about the voiceover, and like they're not happy, so I kind of want to go back to Destiel after if that if y'all have something else Destiel related to say after, which I'm just trusting one of you does. <laughs> oh, I, I will. We'll find something. Don't you worry. Yeah. The whole like happy ending thing like did things to my brain. I don't know. I always think of like season eight in my particular where Dean is like so mad at Sam for like pursuing a happy ending after every one of Sam's family members dies in the same calendar year. And I'm just like, oh, like, yeah, like happy endings and hunting, like do not mix because as soon as Sam starts hunting or even like when Sam's like at Stanford and Dean shows up, like those two things just do not mix. But then I also thought like, just like happy ending, like hunting and happy endings don't mix. So when you get your chance, it doesn't say whether you get your chance at a happy ending or if you get your chance at hunting. So I was like, also when you get your chance at revenge, because, you know, Sam and Dean jumped on that option and so did John. I think that's a really interesting interpretation. I interpreted it as when you get your chance at a happy ending, because I think like that's so much where my brain is at, where I'm like, the only purpose for this narrative is to find a happier ending. Like that's just where, that's my, that's my clown engaged. And I also think that's like pretty hard to not see that when you look at who's creating this show. But it is like a super interesting interpretation to look at it as like, yeah, it could actually mean when you get your chance at any of the things, happiness, hunting, revenge, justice, however, whatever. While we're on Dean, I do want to just say that for like one hot second of like pure adrenaline, I thought that that was the Impala pulling up at the end of the episode when Carlos and Lata were watching. (laughs) 
oh my god I was like so excited and then it was not Dean it was a lady with what Naomi described as the Will Byers haircut (laughs) and I was very sad because I was so excited I got so hyped for like three seconds I thought that they apologized well uh Carlos and Lata were like on the side of the road um, having their like heart to heart and like, I played it back and I was like oh no it wasn't it but like it was a very similar front it's probably Anne Impala honestly it's just not the Impala which I think they do keep throwing cars I mean obviously it's also the air but they also I think are intentionally throwing cars at us that yeah like are, resemble you have they you have to take a second and be like is that oh no it's not like they're making us pay attention for it they know we're looking for it like they're gonna mm-hmm. bait us and I can't blame them on this front like when we do Assuming that we do at some point find out what what the deal is with the time traveling shenanigans, I am gonna need an explanation for the car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need an explanation of if the car can time travel or not. Agreed. Before we wrap up, I want to do a quick throwback to like I think the second episode, and I came prepared with like fucking transcripts, and I went on a whole Wizard of Oz. Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad you're coming back to this because there was stuff here. There was stuff here. Now, I kind of left that as a bit of a lost cause because I was like, oh, we got through the next few episodes. And I was like, I can't really find anything else here. However, we had Dorothea this episode. Mm -hmm. And we also had Dorothea who was attacked and then kept in stasis, which is like exactly what the Dorothy episode in season Mm -hmm. eight, she's kept in stasis so she doesn't age or like whatever, but she's trapped. Yeah. And... Then in the scene when Latha and Carlos are in the like motel with Roxy, there's mm-hmm. a bunch of art on the walls and we've just released our episode on the season four finale on Driver Picks. So I'm like in the art dissection mode <laughs> because of the beautiful room. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to like look at the art and like, because there's some pretty prominent paintings. And so there is like four main ones that we can see really clearly. There's a couple that are like closer to the bathroom. We don't really get to see, but on the wall that is like by where the television is and where all like the empty bottles and stuff are there are two pictures which seem like they're of like foliage like leaves and like trees but they've got the like shining like sunlight coming through them which are often known as god rays and so i thought that was interesting that we had like the god rays did they point at anybody no they're they're pretty general but we do get shots of like latha in front of them and obviously like it's where all the like empty bottles and stuff are so like I think that's kind of interesting but then there are also two behind the beds so there's one behind each bed the bed that has just like clothes and crap all over it the whole um scene has a picture behind it which is a house on a lake which really reminded me of the season 12 finale and the house where Jack is born and the rift is and where Cass's funeral pyre is and stuff so that really threw me there And then the painting that is behind the bed that Roxy spends a lot of the episode on, I think it is like a river, but it's golden. So it looks like Hmm. the yellow brick road. Like it really looked like I stopped the episode and I rewound because I was like, was that the yellow brick road? And it's cool. It really looks like it. And so I thought that was interesting because then we also get like Roxy, like I mentioned in a way earlier episode, obviously we have like the red magic that is the monster juice stuff whatever they called it and also her like ruby red nails she still has ruby red nails in this episode so I just thought that it was like cool 
Um, and I wanted yeah. to, it probably yeah. doesn't mean anything at this point, but like, I was so excited that I was like, oh my God, my old idea. I was so excited about. At the very least, it's a cool visual, like continuity thing that they keep calling yeah. back to, which is, is fun. If nothing, even if it doesn't mean anything for the plot. If nothing else, it's like callbacks to a concept of like a fictional fantasy hero's journey with a band of four misfits off to defeat the big wizard, you know, like <laughs> nothing else. You know, there's that. I had in my notes, like, it's going to take a long time for them to clean up from this golem fight. Just, like, A, the destruction from the fight itself, and then B, like, also, like, the golem falls on these two people and kills the one that's not already dead. (laughs) And I was like, that's going to be a big mess to clean up. And then (laughs) the summary for next week's episode (laughs) literally starts with, in the aftermath of the fight with the golem, Carlos, Mary, and Lazica are cleaning the clubhouse. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, yeah glad I'm not the only one on there so the next week's episode (laughs) is called you've got a friend which I'm assuming is a golden girls reference or a toy story reference one of the two yeah (laughs) (laughs) and the summer reads in the aftermath of the fight with the golem Carlos Mary and Latica are cleaning the clubhouse when they hear a noise from outside they creep out to investigate and spot a figure but they can't quite make it out until it turns and they are shocked to see John standing before them covered in blood meanwhile Carlos and Latica set out in search of something important Thank you for being so specific about what that something is. So John does run is what we're getting is like John runs. I don't know how fuck he makes it anywhere. Has anyone watched the the promo for next week? I haven't. I finished the episode and I was like, I need to see the promo, especially with this one where I was like, you left us on a massive cliffhanger. It's still, I'm very excited for this. (laughs) Here we go. If that was, in fact, Mary Winchester punching Betty in the face, we all saw that. <laughs> yep, I think there's go- we're going to see a lot of Betty. We're going to see that Betty-Mary conflict like come to a head. I'm obviously. so glad to see them not using their words at all. <laughs> I was about to say before you hit play, I was like, oh, I wonder if the friend is Dean. And now we've watched it, I'm like, I'm pretty sure the friend I is I think the friend Dean. is Dean. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we're not getting the Dean reveal like the ultimate reveal till episode 13 but I do think we're getting closer to it and I think the next three episodes are gonna all be about that I did like half convince myself that the person who would show up in the bunker this episode was gonna be Dean even though I totally knew it wouldn't be like a little bit of me did truly want that so badly I hoped it was Bobby I wanted it to be Bobby you know what when I saw the teacups, I was like, oh my God, is it going to be Missouri? And I was so excited. And then I heard like the voice and I was like, oh, well, that's not Missouri. <laughs> it's really fun. I know. We really got gypped out of like all of the good potentials. Next week, we've got a friend and we could use a friend apparently based on that. Like the the John thing is going to be like the main plot of the episode. I'm interested to see the John Betty stuff because it seems like there's a conversation where they're having a conversation where he doesn't seem to be arrested or not detained. Like she's not like they're just standing there. I hope that by the end of the episode, Betty's the friend. Maybe this is how we get Betty on on our side. Just on like the Dean thing, I am kind of expecting there to be a reveal at the end of episode 12. Yeah, and that's also episode I thirteen will actually have him in it as like part of the main plot. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think we're getting in this episode. I think if if anything, if we saw him in this episode, I think we don't see him interact with anyone else. Like I think we yeah. see in the picture. We could even potentially see him in a shot or two. But I also know like with their filming schedule, I think the chances that he was able to film stuff to be in this episode may or may not be the case with we might get like you know at the end of the season five finale and they do the pan out and you see sam just yeah 
you mm-hmm. might get something like that maybe at the end of like sorry but I don't think you'll interact until see episode 12 at the earliest that's my that's also my my thought is I don't think they will have had the ability to film him interacting and I think they want to stretch it out I think this is like the big mystery the big mystery is not the Akrita the big mystery ultimately is Dean this week Drake Rogers randomly tweeted about watching baby (laughs) I was like maybe some like research is happening um so I thought like because like that is a episode where like a version of John appears it's not really John, but like a young John appears. And I was like, and it's a Robbie Thompson episode. It's just like a random thing to tweet about. <laughs> See, I like I like the idea that he's watching for a specific reason, but I also like the idea that he's just watching Supernatural just because he is. I kind of want to rewatch Baby just for the sake of rewatching it now that he's specifically <laughs> called it out. Like just to be like, hmm, I wonder. I want to know if this is his professional brainworms or his personal brainworms. Like, <laughs> Drake, if you're listening, we would like to know which one which one that tweet came from. Back to something more relevant about next week's episode. What do you think is the important thing that Carlos and Lotha are looking for? It's got to be something to do with them finding the Akrito layer, because, like, that's got to be important at some point. <laughs> Maybe a weapon of some kind? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. And if it's Akrito related, it- I had a question about this too because the only thing that we get from Roxy like textually in dialogue is that she says that the queen is underground which we knew from like the previous episode but then they go to a warehouse and I'm like that's not under the ground that's very much on top of the ground so like it is but we see some like major players there and there's a bunch of construction stuff too so I think I assume that they they like are assuming that it's they're assuming that it's under the warehouse is kind of what I implied I was just like, this John thing seems like a really big deal. And I'm just like wondering like what would take them away from that. Maybe they're looking for something that would like help him. Yeah. I mean, they could also potentially be looking for like Samuel. (laughs) Deanna. Deanna. At this point, it could be literally fucking anything. There's so little we know. Did Carlos and Lotha even know about the Dean Winchester picture thing? And that, do they even know about any? No not we don't know we we don't know we literally do those not know conversations were very last week explicitly tied up in the john mary should we tell them that we're dating so like they were very separate from them and then i just realized like they didn't spend a lot of time together this week and like i don't know do they know anything about any of that and spend like any time together this week all four of them so because like, they don't technically know because like the accrete are clearly interested in dean but john and mary don't know that so they just think that like Dean's some guy who clearly knows something about something, but they don't know that he's connected to anything Akrita related. So, like, they might not be inclined to actually share that information. If anything, they think he's connected to men of letters slash hunters because of, like, his connection to Henry because of, like, he gave the letter. Like, that's the strongest connection they have. And the men of letters are connected to the Akrita. Like, I think it's close enough, but... It might not be, like, priority one to share that information. <laughs> I didn't even think about the fact that they haven't been told or seen, the, like, on screen at least. It might be, like, assumed that we were supposed to think that they were just told off screen. But, like, yeah, that didn't even occur to me. They have But not, there's like... so many things that have happened in the last little bit that, like, it seems, a li- it did seem a little odd that they split up this episode. Yeah, John did, like, literally die, like, three minutes ago. <laughs> and that Carlos and Lotha were off doing such, like, big Akrita research stuff. Well, John and Mary, like, well, not having any contact. Like, in earlier, they were planning on hanging at home and reading and uh, being excited about our college letter. <laughs> earlier episodes, when the group kind of split off, they would, like, call each other with information about mm-hmm. what they were doing, and they didn't do any of that this episode. 
no communication might also be a, a contributing factor on why these two stories like why i felt like it was disjointed yeah there was no crossover there weren't even really scenes where they were together at the they, there were no scenes where they were together no, in the they whole were not episode. together in the whole episode which i think is the first time i think is the first episode that we haven't seen like that we've been fully split off into like two entirely separate storylines that we have no idea if they've communicated about. i can't really see next week's episode ending on like a happy note but like remember in the first like few episodes where every episode ended on like a montage call an episode you've got a friend and then not have a you've got a friend montage but like i can't also can't see like 11 out of 13 ending happily <laughs> jamie has a particular gripe with supernatural that she brings up every season and to be fair she has a lot of them <laughs> I was like, which one? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> in particular, one thing that pisses her off to no end, and to be fair, it's not exclusive to Supernatural, but, you know, is that <laughs> they will inevitably, in like the third or second to last episode, will always introduce something that is essential to mm-hmm. the finale. Always, always, always. Like, it's never introduced early. So, like, a good example, one we come back to a lot, is the cult. Like, we know mm-hmm. nothing about the cult, and then all of a sudden they introduce it in, like, I think, Dead Man's Blood, and then, yeah. they, like, it becomes so relevant, right? And I have to assume that if this is following the same pattern that Supernatural always did, it means the thing that Lathar and Carlos are going to find is going to be the thing that is essential to them fixing what happens in episode 13, fixing things or figuring out Dean or like answering the questions about the time like it's going to be yeah. essential to something either mm-hmm. for them in their fight with the Akrita or for us as viewers in us understanding what's happening in this story do you know what I'd love to see I'd love them to find to see the pictures of Dean and then for the thing that they're finding to be the car and they just like steal the car it is the most important object in the entire universe I like. would watch oh. Lava and Carlos Stealing a car from Dean Winchester is something I would pay to see. That is oh, so funny. Yes. And that would be a great way to lure him to wherever the fuck I think <laughs> He will stop hiding in the shadows yes. or whatever the yeah. fuck he's doing if his car is gone. And I also straight up think that it's something that Carlos would do immediately. Like, be like, right, we're taking the car. Also, I would love to see them playing, like, back and forth with the car of, like, stealing the car back and forth from each other. That's just a, a crack sort of, like, I would love to see it. I think it'd be very funny. Carlos gets very upset that Dean stole his car back after Carlos steals it. We saw that John was a fan of the car, just like on site. I I would like to see Carlos assess the car. (laughs) I can't tell if I feel better or worse about this episode than I did when we started. Also, same. I I think I enjoyed talking about this episode more than I enjoyed watching most parts of it. But I like the parts that I liked already more. (laughs) The thing that I hated about the episode was the stuff with the golem like that was the Mm -hmm. stuff where I was like this is bad but I was like other than the fact that they used a golem the plot that they had around that with like the one soft villain or whatever I was happy to be like okay you needed a b plot while we had the a plot which was yeah Carlos and which was more research based it wasn't like a super actiony plot they needed a more actiony plot to round it out kind of so other than the fact that it was the golem like that is that is my problem with this episode everything else I'm like do you know what it was a bit silly the timeline makes no fucking sense like all these things <laughs> I was willing to be like do you know what it's just I'll put it in the too hard basket of like most people aren't counting the timeline like we are like most people aren't gonna fucking notice the document has this date and that that doesn't line up with season eight which doesn't line up with do you know what I mean no that's just us <laughs> that's just us and supernatural fans yeah, exactly. So I was like, okay, I'm willing to put that in there. They just didn't fact check the fucking years. Okay, whatever. It's the golem that for me that's the issue. And then the rest of the episode I fucking loved. 
it's a real this one's a real this one's I feel like the most mixed of all the ones because like it's just like the highs are really good the stuff that's good is really good the stuff that's bad is the worst it's been in the whole show Carlos and Roxy and Latha excellent like that's really great and then this other half is really bad and like it just sort of means this episode's a little strange but I'm really excited about next week like or two weeks from now I'm the promo looks great and I think based on like what plot we're dealing with like I'm anticipating really hopefully really well done episode especially since I think they've proven with like I mean out of 10 episodes I would say like eight out of 10 have been like really solid like consistently solid and so like if that holds through I I think that what they're working with next week will hopefully pan out that's all we have for today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to send us your own predictions and theories on our Twitter at WaverParents or our Tumblr at WaverParentsPodcast. And if you want to join us in the chaos by playing along with your own Winchester's bingo card, you can find out how to do that in the link in our show notes. Um, please let us know again if you checked anything off this week. <laughs> we'll be very impressed. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Um, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a week off next week, and we'll be back for some unhinged chaos the week after. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>